Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of La Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. I'm Stu Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, you know, it was the bye week for the Arrows, so there was yeah. at least one uh, Canadian rugby game that wasn't happening. But we also had the Canada Sevens as well going on in Vancouver. So, you know, a bit of uh, MLR action on the Rugby Network, a bit of Sevens action on the CBC. How are you able to balance it all? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, good good rugby weekend. Um, the Canadian Canada Sevens, it's obviously a huge event on uh, on the Canadian rugby calendar. Um, both both teams kind of you know put in some uh, some pretty good showings. There was definitely uh, some big wins, um, some some losses along the way, unfortunately, but um, you know, solid showing as they both try to climb the uh, the series ladder there. The ML- MLR, interesting MLR viewing this weekend. Obviously, the Arrows had the bye week, but so did the Free Jacks. So essentially, over half the Canadians in the league out of action this week. Um, so that's a bit of a bit of a break for us, I guess, on the uh, yeah. the viewing. Couple teams only starting guys on the bench, um, but uh, are only playing guys with the on the bench. Did that? Um, the Saracens lost, so um, that was sad. Um, beyond yeah. that, though, uh, yeah, no, it's a. Uh, been a been a wild wild sports week f1's back um mm-hmm. hockey post trade deadline playoff pushes starting i think we mentioned uh you know uh last episode it's probably arguably the best time of the year to uh to be a sports fan so um you know it's uh it's there's so there's feels like there's just so much going on with with rugby um are the ospreys merging and moving to london what's going on there like well, are you, are, how I, sad how sad are you right now I, so this is the thing. I am well. I'm sad that the Ospreys lost by one point because they scored a try in the corner, and of course that's the most difficult angle to get a conversion. But mm-hmm. um, at the same time, this whole thing going on with Ealing and Ospreys apparently merging is that Ealing's basically tried to get into the uh, Premiership, but you know their ground size is only five thousand. And so let's go play in Wales instead. Well, yeah, well, it's it seems though they want to be. I think they're changing their name anyway to like London Trailfinders. I think yeah. that's just for like branding opportunities more than anything else. And yeah. they had approached teams in the URC about a possible merger, one of which is the Ospreys. But when you come into like the literal geopolitics of this, so any team that's in England is under the authority of the RFU and any team in Wales is under the authority of the WRU. So the question is like, oh, is this new merger team, are they going to play for the Premiership or are they going to play for the URC? And if they're going to play for the URC, they can't play in England because the RFU said. If you play in England, you can't play for a non-RFU-approved competition. And so if they're going to... Okay, so they let's say, oh, they want to play in the Premiership. Okay, then you have to do another year in the Championship, and you still have to find a ground that has 10,001 uh, seats for it to happen. Uh, so the alternative would be, okay, so let's move Ealing to the Ospreys in Swansea. They can use the Swansea.com stadium and play in the URC then. Is it okay? So why are they called London <laughs> Trailfinders? Ah. So what I so I think this is all like people putting on tinfoil hats, conspiracy theories 
moving around. Again, none of the teams like the RFU, WRU, the Ospreys, and Ealing Trailfinders, no one's confirmed or denied anything because if there is something going on, then it is all just hush-hush at the moment, legal requirements. But I think, personally, that this is, you know, people wearing tinfoil hats and saying that, you know, this is going on because, Mm -hmm. you know, the WRU is up a certain creek without a certain instrument and Ealing is desperate to get into top flight rugby. But, like, legally, it doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, so ultimately what you're saying is we have no idea what's going on. Absolutely. Welcome to rugby. Yeah, exactly. Okay, (laughs) perfect, perfect. I want to say, Paige, no clue. Anyway, let's move on to the actual content of the episode. Now, normally this is the part where we talk about the Arrows game, but as we mentioned before, this is a bye week, uh, so we don't have that game to talk about. However, we do have an interview coming up later in this episode of the podcast where we have two very special guests but we'll get to that later let's talk about the other mlr games that happened this weekend because there were five games going on first up we had dallas versus seattle you know seattle uh undefeated so far and they basically continued their winning streak the final score dallas 10 seattle 35 Then we move back to the East, where we have Atlanta versus NOLA, the only Saturday game, which is interesting, in my opinion. Uh, And after falling to Seattle, Atlanta returned home. NOLA had a great start, but Atlanta saw it out. The final score, Atlanta 29, NOLA 16. On Sunday, for the first game, we had our first ever visit to SeatGeek Stadium as Chicago hosted Utah. This was a defensive encounter by both teams. One one for the purists, as they say. Uh, The final score, Chicago 10, Utah 14. Then we move down to Texas, where we have Houston hosting San Diego. You know, both teams unbeaten at this point. So basically someone was going to get their first loss of the season. A very close encounter. Bonus points devolved. But bonus points divvied out for both teams. The final score, Houston 31, San Diego 26. And finally, we had a battle in the East as New York hosted DC. And if you thought the Arrows result was bad, then DC joined the club. Final score, New York 34, DC 8. Yeah, it's almost like New York's good or something, eh? It's like it's like New York is good when they're at home and they don't have to, you know, go somewhere else across the country or across the border to uh prove that. It's so weird. Huh. Yeah. Thunk it. <laughs> Bizarre. Uh, Bizarre. Uh, were there any games that stood out for you, Derek? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a couple. Um, you know, if we're talking uh, you know, Canadian performances, um, uh, Nakai Penny, got to give him a shout out. He had a try, a handful of tackles, looked really good at the breakdown. Um, in uh, Seattle's win over Dallas, he's uh, the lone Canadian on the team of the week. Houston, San Diego was a big one as well. But I, I think to me, the most interesting game of the weekend to me, I think was Atlanta Nola. Um, not necessarily the best game, not necessarily the best game, but I think the most interesting one. Um, so, so we got Matt Heaton versus Eric Howard, um, in this one. And it's just like, what's going on with Nola, man? Um, like that's, it's such an interesting, feels like such an interesting team right now. Cause you know, I think we spent a lot of 
time in the offseason, a lot of like MLR media out there, like Nola looked like really heavily improved, right? They signed Dougie Fife, they signed um Rodney Iona at fly half from uh, you know the Brumby, like from the Brumby, that's super rugby fly half coming over, you know, Tom Florence coming over, Luke Campbell. Um, like they signed a lot of really big names. The, a lot of their big guns came back, like Cam Dolan, JP Duplessis. Like they all returned, right? Um, that big like core of the team, and everyone was like, "This been this has been a team that has been on like the cusp of the playoffs basically every year of their existence." Yeah, right? and it seemed like this is really going to be with the roster that they assembled this year really looked like, Hey, this could be the push to jump up. Right. And they're Owen three to start the season. Right now. Granted. I mean, they're, they're Owen three. They've played new England who a lot of people have positioned at the top of the prediction wise, preseason predictions. A lot of people think it was one of the best teams. Then, um, then they played Houston, who's proved the one of the two undefeated teams left. Again, a team predicted to be at the top of their conference. They lost to Atlanta, and they got New York this week. Um, so it's things things are not getting any easier for Nola. No. Um, yet they like they have that playoff aspirations. I think it's probably still there, but like, um. They started this game so well, but then like penalties just killed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, penalties, penalties, there's lack of execution. I mean, the same thing that brings down pretty much every rugby team ever to be on the losing side of a game. But like they had some opportunities there, but it was just, you know, after getting off to a lead, such a great start, it was just uh, like if you're a Nola Gold fan, you have to be incredibly frustrated, I think, with the start of this season. Um, yeah. Because you got New York this week, who, as you just mentioned, Stu, putting up some big numbers on some teams, oh. right? So it's uh, like they're looking very good. It is in New Orleans, so maybe that's a little bit of a help to them. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, this seems like an interesting little story to follow. Is one of the I guess um, what seemed to be a projected playoff team getting off to an Owen Owen three start, mm. and then going into next week has to play one of the best the defending champs and one of the best teams in the league so um it's a it's a rough go for uh any team to recover from for uh that has some playoff aspirations to start the season um anything that uh anything jump out to you um over uh the last week canadian performances um uh, yeah so uh the game that i uh one talk about is Chicago versus Utah. First of all, uh, brand new venue, uh, great turnout over. Uh, let me get the numbers correct. I believe it was four thousand four hundred and forty-three nice. uh, uh, people uh, tickets sold for that game. You know, just one more, and it would have been all fours. But you know, you can't have everything. Um, at the same time. Uh, so Lindsay Stevens and uh, Emerson Pryor were the only Canadian representatives for each team. Uh, Stevens came on very early because of uh, Hugh Roach going down with a twisted knee. So 
instead of coming on at you know like at the 60th minute he came on at like the 10th and you know was very impressive from mm-hmm. uh his drives especially in the scrum uh emerson prior he uh came on about uh early in the second half around like the 50th minute mark uh but then in a display of poor tackle form he uh did a no arms tackle he had been warned earlier and so uh he got yellow carded which obviously not the best uh representation <laughs> for uh canada but you know you grow you learn you get better um but this was a I think it w- it was a good game. There was like great defensive structure, as I mentioned, but it was also a bit of a frustrating game as well because you could have said, "Oh, Chicago should have like kicked for posts a few more times." Uh, Utah should have been able to capitalize with their experience in locating uh, gaps in the defense. Uh, you know, opportunities not taken, but it was a very engaging game. Um, you know, uh, Luke Carty becoming the first uh, player to score at uh, SeatGeek Stadium for the Hounds. Uh, Strum, the pub quiz answer of uh, <laughs> which is the first uh, Chicago player to score at home uh, in a try. So always good. But it, it is, again, things of you're seeing, uh, and, you know, it's Chicago, the same with Nola. They were unable to score in the second half and that inevitably led to their downfall and you know it's a lot of things like what could have been um but from like a canadian perspective you know great to see lindsey stevens um take to the field for practically the entirety of the game you know obviously we wish it was like he was starting and we wish it was under better circumstances, but, you know, stepped up at hooker and really delivered. Emerson Pryor able to come on for the, uh, I'd say, uh, 19 of those 20 minutes. He was doing a pretty good job. And it was just the uh, final uh, no arms tackle that uh, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately denied us uh extra 10 minutes to see his performance. But, you know, especially in Chicago, you know, uh, climate similar to Ontario, uh, a great turnout of rugby fans because obviously, you know, from what I've gathered, SeatGeek Stadium isn't really on a transit line. It's I don't think it's on like a subway line. I think it's on a bus route. So uh, people were able to bus in there, and there's obviously like a parking lot as well. But you know, for over four thousand people turning for your uh, season opener, I think that's a great turnout and uh, strong confidence in this team. Uh, especially as the weather gets warmer, we'll definitely see a lot more turnouts. But those, uh, uh, so especially Stevens, that was my uh, Canadian performance yeah. of the week to watch. Well, Chicago obviously going to be an interesting team too because that's uh they play the Arrows next week second game mm-hmm. at SeatGeek Stadium both teams being zero and two, right? Yeah. So we're going to have obviously both teams looking for a uh, looking for a win. In... Yeah, both both teams looking for a win. Look and watch it turn into a draw or something like that. Hey, that hey, you know what? Those are points. Those are points. Yeah. We'll take that. Yeah, that's um, fair enough. We'll take that. I think the other um super noteworthy thing too um. Going into this, uh, the New York Iron Workers uh, pretty handily beat DC. Um, Andrew Coe was among those, some of the league leaders in uh, ball carries and meters, so shout out to him. He's playing very well to start the season. 
with this game and the game last week against the Toronto Arrows, the New York Iron Workers right now are sitting, you know, on top of the Eastern Conference, but they've also only allowed 11 points in the last two games. So there are two wins. Yeah. They've only given up 11 points. So um, that could be a uh, pot- potentially scary proposition if they keep playing that way. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to see uh, how uh, teams kind of feel each other out. Um, early bye weeks for everybody. I think, you know, we might need the proper check-in after everybody plays four games, a little, uh, you know, a little quarter way mark, but it's, uh, kind of interesting to sort of see like the storylines and how the, uh, the season seems to be developing and then, uh, um, who looks like, uh, there'll be some shield contenders coming out of each conference early on too. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great stuff to go on, even if the arrows aren't playing. But as you mentioned, there may not have been any rugby action going on in Toronto, but that doesn't mean there wasn't anything going on across Canada because in Vancouver, it was the Canada Sevens. And for the first time ever, the men's and women's were held at the same location, BC Place. So the action started on Friday. So uh, we will go over the men's and then we'll go over the women's. So the men's sevens, uh, they opened with a 35-3 loss to Ireland. Uh, which is bad, but considering they didn't score anything against Ireland in the pool stages in LA, it's an improvement. Uh, then came the big uh, win, which was a 29-12 win over Australia to close out Friday action. So that's obviously a bit of a boost. And then finally, a 35-7 win over Chile. And it's really unfortunate because I think Australia also had the win over Chile and Ireland. So basically, it was basically a case of Ireland, Australia, and Canada all had two wins. But yeah. it was then on points difference that Ireland, Australia went through to the cup final and Canada went to the um, ninth place knockout round. And in that round, they um, started with our 14 19 loss to Spain and then followed by a 31-14 loss to South Africa. That meant they finished 13th at the Canada Sevens. That means they are currently still in 14th in the standings, and they are 15 points from safety. So 15 points away from this uh, elimination tournament that will be happening in London in four rounds' time. One uh, team that doesn't have to worry about uh, elimination round are the women's sevens. So they opened in a game against Ireland as well, and unfortunately a loss. So 28-7 was the result. Then they followed up with a 17-12 loss to the USA before scoring a 31-7 win over Brazil. They proceeded to the knockout rounds with a 10-5 loss to the uh, Blackburns. And then they redeemed themselves with a 24-12 win over Ireland, before finally concluding their Canada Sevens with 22-17 loss to Fiji. Uh, That means they finished sixth in the overall standings, and they are currently eighth in the tournament standings. So, uh, you know, a decent performance from the women's Sevens team. Um, You know, great to see that they're playing at BC Place as well. Yeah, but it's uh, getting a bit uh, tight for... uh, the men's sevens to try and turn this around and get out of the elimination zone, really. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought uh, I thought overall it was a pretty solid tournament for them. Obviously, that win against Australia was unreal. Um, yeah, so that's up. Yeah. That's yeah, that's the highlight, right? Um, I think you know, like you kind of said, maybe a little unlucky with some point differential stuff that bumped them out of the uh, you know out of the cup. Um, but I think I think overall pretty pretty promising. I mean, even that it's like they end up in the um, you know they they end up in the uh, like the consolation they have to play South Africa some for some reason. Um, yeah. So it's a little little yeah. unlucky. Yeah. With the, yeah, uh, say what you want about Canada if they're facing like uh, the blitz box for yeah was eleventh place and something's yeah, exactly. really gone wrong. Yeah, that's uh yeah so that's interesting right so it's a. Uh, you know, a bit of a the uh, the schedule maybe didn't uh, work out too well in their favor for this one, but obviously still in that like playoff zone, um, which I mean might not be the best spot to be in, but you know as long as the team kind of keeps getting better, it does. You know, at the end of the day, you do get to play for that spot, right? So you you know at the end of the day, it's just anything can happen when you actually have to play for it, right? So. Um, when it comes yeah. down to that, it's going to be, uh, you know, just a couple of games for when they uh, have to do that playoff. Right. So um, it's imp- really important to, uh, you know, keep keep improving. And I think they uh, I think they showed that a little bit this weekend, uh, which was, you know, which which is hopeful and uh, and exciting. Some good performances across the board. Yeah, but I this is the thing. If Canada had made the um like cup uh, quarterfinals, yeah. Because of the way ranking, they would or they would have at least finished with ten points, and instead, because uh, mm-hmm. they finished fifteenth, they only leave with one. And you know, if if they're fifteen points away, then they just need to like overcome their opposition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's a, if they face South Africa again. Um, hopefully, I mean, like, you know, a team that was like competing for 13th, then yeah, absolutely. They should, uh, be able to turn that around. I, but I, but I, I understand it's like, yeah. it's not just the idea of like, oh, Canada's gotten worse. It's all these other nations have gotten better as, um, we've explained before, you know, yeah. it's bec- now it's an Olympic sport. A lot of unions are thankfully investing in their sevens teams and, want to keep their teams in the World Series. And as much as I'd rather, I understand like, oh, if you're playing for the spot, you still have the chance to get it. I I personally prefer to like not have to worry about that, but uh, that's the thing. So so, uh, I I do agree with you. I just think as long as if you are improving and stuff, like like you said, it's like they, they kind of missed missed out on the cup maybe do it all point differential yeah well when it comes to that playoff as well point differential is not necessarily going to matter it's just if you win or lose right so yeah as long as you I, win, win well that point when when it matters it's uh well the decision is made how many more of, tournaments are there so there are for the men there are four more tournaments okay. so they okay. have uh okay. a second go at Hong Kong, which will include the women as well. Then they have Singapore uh, Toulouse, which will include the women with the final being in London. So it's basically at the conclusion of the Toulouse tournament, that is when it's decided of the teams that will be facing in this relegation playoff uh, in London. So now, well, now's the time, guys. You've That's got about uh, three weeks until uh, Hong Kong. Uh, 
don't, 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 don't want to rush you, but you know, yeah. hurry up. The, the wins <laughs> over Australia and Chile were very encouraging this week. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. hopefully, that, yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah. they keep rolling with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for that too. I'm hoping the momentum's with the uh, team and that they can, you know. Obviously, they played in Hong Kong uh, earlier in the first leg. Uh, they did, you know, they actually scored their highest position to get uh, to take away seven points. And all they need to do now is just, uh, you know, get two wins and get that point differential up in the pool stage, and they'll be leaving with an automatic 10. And if they can do that a couple more times, then, hey, they should be in the clear like ahead of Uruguay and we won't need to be worrying about this anymore. But yeah. as we said, that is still yet to come. The Hong Kong Sevens will be taking place in uh, the 31st of March through to the 2nd of April. Yeah. Right. Let's not look too far forward into the future. Let's instead look ahead to the MLR round four predictions that will be happening this coming weekend. So first up, Derek, we have New England versus DC. Who are you taking? Uh, New England. New England. Let's get all the uh, Canadian boys back on the uh, back on the pitch for this game. So New England. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, no disrespect to uh, all the Canadians that are also on DC, but uh, New England. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it's it's just a numbers game, as in like DC only have uh, three <laughs> Canadians. New England have three in their backs alone so uh i'm i'm gonna agree with you as well i think dc you know they were hit hard in that game uh with new york new england coming off a bye week it's their home opener as well so i think uh the wind is definitely in new england sales uh chicago versus toronto i'm gonna go on a limb here derek and say that you're gonna pick toronto that would be correct. That would be correct. Yeah. All right. All right. I am picking Toronto as well. Oh, so let's. Um, what a shock indeed. Okay. So uh, San Diego are heading back home, uh, Snapdragon Stadium, and they will be facing Dallas. Who have you got, Derek? Well, still, wasn't this this one of your predictions that Dallas would get a uh, get a win in their uh, in the first four games? Um, your preseason predictions, right? That the, was that was my preseason prediction that they right. they would not lose. Oh, okay. So, you're thinking, so you're thinking a draw might be on because I, I think, I, I'm I think it's, I'm like San Diego's been pretty damn good, man. I uh, know they have been pretty damn good, and Dallas has pretty not. But uh, I I feel like you have to you have to back up your preseason prediction yeah, in this game. Yeah, it's you picked Dallas last week, so I will pick Dallas this week. Uh, I will take um, San Diego this week. Okay, that may be the correct answer, but we are now have two. <laughs> Undefeated teams in Seattle versus Houston. This this will probably be the game of the week. Yeah, oh, this is definitely the game. All right. So Seattle are hosting this game, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know Houston have their first win was away from home as well. Uh, Seattle able to get a win uh, away from home. Both of their away games, both against Dallas. So make of that what you will. Um, who have you got? Dallas has had a bit of a tough schedule to start the year, too. Um, with uh, yeah, Seattle, Houston, now San Diego. That's fun, but I think I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Houston. I'll take the uh, I'll take the road team in this one for uh, um, I think Houston, uh, I don't know, Houston just looks like they might be 
might be one of the best teams in the league this year. So look, uh, I'm looking for them to make a bit of a statement this week. All right, that's fair. Well, if we're going from Can- on uh, the number of Canadians, Houston only have one. Uh, Rob Povey, uh, who's always on the bench. I think he <laughs> needs to be starting, really. But Seattle have two start. in their midst. And, you know, once they... Uh, they start in the Kai Penny, and he makes the MLR 15 of the week. So I will therefore go with Seattle, and hopefully that will mean that I at least get uh, a win if uh, Dallas versus San Diego doesn't work out in my favor. And the final game is NOLA versus New York, uh, held at the gold mine on airline. Oh, man. See, I feel like New York's the better team, but I feel like Nola has to win this game. Like, is it weird to call games must-win games in Week Four? Like, is that is that weird? Because I feel like this is a must-win game for Nola. Like, if you're going to make the playoffs, if you're going to have yeah, that aspiration, you got to get the team, momentum coming to you. You got to start point. it got... somewhere. Yeah. Right, um, so I'm, so I'm, I'm going to, and for that reason, and they're at home. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Nola. Okay, I think that. New York are going to win, but I also think Nola are going to push them, uh, if not defensively, with a yeah. a losing bonus point. Then they are finally going to get their attack in order and get those four tries to get that bonus point for them. So I'm going to go with New York, but I'm you know I'm hoping that Nola can actually get some points on the board or the table board at least. But those are our picks. So those games, again, are New England versus D.C., Chicago versus Toronto, San Diego versus Dallas, Seattle versus Houston, and NOLA versus New York. And you can watch all those games, if you're in Canada, on the Rugby Network. However, if you're looking to watch the Arrows game, you can also watch that on tsn.ca, TSN+, and the TSN app. On top of that, back in Europe, we have the return of the final two rounds of the Six Nations, and you can watch those on the zone okay Derek so we've talked about what we normally talk about but now we are cutting away to the big uh, part of this podcast a big interview and it's coming up in three two one and we are back and as promised we have two special guests joining us for the remainder of the podcast uh the big head honchos within the toronto hours at the moment we have the president and general partner bill webb and vice president and general manager tim matthews bill tim thank you so much for both joining us this evening good to be here thanks for having us great to be here Okay, now, Bill, we've uh, interviewed you previously, I believe it was episode 50, and, you know, we asked the uh, previous questions of what got you started in rugby and all that stuff. So, Tim, this is firmly directed at you. These are the questions we ask everyone when they come on the podcast. We'll start off, what got you started in rugby to begin with? Yeah, it, it's a great question, uh, and I think similar to to many of uh, of my generation, uh, it was a high school teacher. Uh, so I, I transferred uh, for my grade 12 year. So I was 18 years old. I came to a new school. Uh, I figured I was going to play football. That's what you do when you, you know, you, you, go, to, you go to high school here. And uh, I went to, I think, two practices. Uh, when I heard a voice uh, sitting on the stairs of a portable, I walked past uh, and it was my history teacher. And he said, you, you're in my history class. Yep. Yeah. said, it looks like you like to hit guys. Said, yeah. He goes, 
do you like to run with the ball? I said, well, I'm on defense. They don't let me. And then he just, would you like to? And that was it. Uh, so he, uh, he got a rugby ball in my hands uh, the next day, and I was a rugby player. As easy as that. Always amazes me how many times we ask this question, and like the number one response seems to be something along the lines of, I get to hit people, sign me up for this. <laughs> and uh, so you mentioned your history teacher for that as well. Um, so like, is there anybody else that kind of influenced, had a big influence on you as you were kind of getting started into rugby or you know, even following the passion to eventually, uh, you know, get in the role that you have with a uh, professional team in uh, Toronto. For sure. For sure. And uh, it, to be fair, I, sh I should offer a little bit more detail there around that history teacher because uh, him and his family would, would not like it if I left it, that it was just hitting guys. So it was Cecil Moody. Uh, he ran the, the program out of Lawrence Park uh, for decades. Uh, and uh, he was the reason that I started and, and kept playing the game and truthfully understood sort of the passions and the inner workings of the game and why it's so special. Uh, so it's Cease Moody is the reason that I started playing and uh, and pursued it. Uh, the other person that really sort of helped me harness my ambitions as a player, but then as a coach and then now as an executive would be John McMillan. Uh, he was my coach at a couple of eighth grade teams uh, and then at the Pacific Pride. Uh, and he's someone that I'm still in touch with uh, to this day as a mentor and somebody that uh, I wouldn't be where I, where I am if it weren't for him. So Cease Moody and John McMillan are the two names that certainly come, come to front of mind. So that's someone that obviously influenced you when you were um, getting started with rugby, but there's always the like on-field inspiration. Um, who is someone that every time they step or have stepped onto the pitch that you just loved watching them play? Yeah, it's uh, I, I'd have to go back to when I was coming up. Uh, I was an open side flanker, so it was the heyday of George Smith and Richie McCaw. Mm -hmm. uh, those two guys just played the position the right way uh, and uh, obviously were, were great leaders uh, for their, their sides as well. So uh, for those, yeah, for those reasons, it would be, uh, it'd be those two guys. Uh, you can make a case for, for many others, but those are the first two minds that come to mind. All right. Good to hear. Uh, so Tim, you were appointed as the vice president and general manager of the Toronto Arrows. Um, for our listeners, can you give like a layman's term explanation of what your day-to-day -day involves? Sure. Uh, I mean, the easy answer is that every day is different. Um, and uh, different points of the season, uh, as I've experienced into this, uh, up to this point, having just taken on the role uh, late uh, at the end of 2022. Uh, but first and foremost, everything, we work backwards from uh, player performance on the field. So everything that goes into making sure that the squad is prepared, uh, the support staff around them uh, working backward. We have regular touch points uh, to make sure that we're uh, we're maintaining uh, an environment that's uh, that sets them up for success. Uh, the other piece I would say is also sort of keeping an eye on uh, on the horizon. So whether that's with our academy uh, relationships with other programs, making sure that we're in touch with stakeholders in the community across the country. Um, we can't. Uh, I, I've got to make sure that I keep my eye on for uh, 2024 and seasons beyond. Uh, and then the other significant aspect to uh, to the role is working with with Bill and our commercial team around uh, the game day experience and building up to uh, our, our first our home opener on April 8th. As you guys are well aware, we start the season on the road, so we get a little bit more time to get some momentum and plan toward our home opener, but really put some exciting plans in place to make sure the game day experience, fan experience is, uh, matches uh, uh, what we'd like it to. And that is great to hear. So uh, we'll speak to the Arrows and the off-season. So 
uh, Bill or Tim come in with uh, anything you'd like to talk about. But let's begin with... So the Arrows were unfortunately unable to make the playoffs in 2022. So how early did the process begin to prepare for the 2023 season? So I think uh, the best place to start is, as with any team, and uh, certainly at the professional level, uh, upon the end of uh, the last season, uh, there's exit interviews, there's reviews on the roster, there's discussions that are had about uh, areas for improvement, uh, and uh, those discussions start nearly right on the back of the end of the season and start thinking about uh, who's available, who's ready to step up, uh, who's ready to move on, uh, and start to form out a roster uh, that we believe would set the team up for success, both in-year, uh, based on the needs and the requirements of the MLR season and, and the style of play, uh, but also with an idea or, or a lens toward developing players. So there's depth in-year, but also player progression uh, for year-on-year sustained success. Uh, that doesn't come easily, as you both are aware, across the uh, the international slots there are, that uh, each franchise has, as well as the balance with domestic players. Uh, there's always a little bit of back and forth, uh, identifying how to strategically use those international slots uh, with players who will fit into the environment. Um, there's a lot of options, but getting the fit right is of, uh, of the highest importance to make sure that those players can integrate with what we're trying to build uh, as an ecosystem for a successful sustained program uh, year on year. There is an identity and a culture to the arrows that, that Bill and, and the team uh, and the, 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 uh, the rosters before me uh, have built. It's something that we, uh, we don't take lightly and want to make sure that we get that right. So it, it's, a, it's a nuanced uh, approach that I would say starts right away uh, and even starts as we're in season, thinking about how we'll, we'll plan and, and shape things for, uh, for the year to come. Uh, and then building up right until we get the guys uh, in the environment here, uh, Jan 1, Jan 2, uh, and kick off the next season. Everything builds toward that. And I just add that, um, you know, you notice if you look at our roster this year, that there's a few more um, experienced players. Some of our overseas players with a bit more experience and we have more size. We've historically been one of the smallest sides in the MLR and this year we've changed that up a fair bit. So. Those are some of the thematic changes. And in terms of um, other preparations we made, um, last year was a really strange year because we were still in, if you remember, during our training camp from January and February, we were still under lockdowns here in Ontario. Yeah. After going through that traumatizing year of being down in Atlanta, we were still in lockdowns. We didn't know whether we were going to come out of lockdown, you know, until partway through the preseason in time to be able to play home games. It was very unnerving and we did have to shift locations a couple of times during our preseason which was not exactly conducive and also your so um one of the changes we had to make this year was where we located our daily training environment and with a lot of hard work and the help of people like uh, neil mcdougall and, and and others we we located um we're now training indoors at lamport under the dome we have uh, a gym very close by within about 100 meters that the boys do their S&C you know, strength and conditioning at. And we found a great office space that we refer to as the hangar, as in an aircraft aviation hangar. And that's where we have our daily training. That's where we have our meetings, medical and, uh, uh, meetings, medical and meals, the three M's. And it's a really great space. And, the player, and it's also within about 50 meters of Lamport. So we have a little campus 
everything's within very close walking distance. The players have really taken to it. It's been a great place for them to be able to study film, to be able to meet as a group, to be able to go into breakout meetings. Uh, our medical and therapy is there. We have meals brought in there for them. And it's a, it's probably, well, without a doubt, it's the best environment that we've had uh, in any of our, you know, lively five seasons to date. So we're very fortunate to have that. The players are appreciative and uh, it's a great place to prepare to perform. And, uh, you know, while we're off to a little bit of a rocky start here, we're looking forward to our game on Saturday against, against Chicago. I think the guys are starting to settle into a bit of a groove. We've got some guys coming back from injury, fortunately, and uh, uh, we should have a, a good a good performance on Saturday. Yeah, so uh, I want to kind of circle back to, um, Tim, you brought up um, the foreign player slots and how important that is um, and, like, how, you know, when you're thinking about, like, constructing the roster, but I'm sure also yourself and Peter Smith have to be very um, thoughtful of how that goes into just the match day 23 as well with only having eight slots. Um, how important is it to also be able to find those guys um say like a player like nick ben that is you know has that overseas experience but can also be canadian qualified um so how important is it to find those guys and how do you actually go about um locating and identifying canadian eligible players from you know around the world and not just the guys that are uh you know maybe born and raised and grew up in canada and played through the the canadian rugby system yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it, truthfully, it, it's something that, you know, we always look to improve upon and get better at. And I, I think the honest answer is it's a little bit of inbound uh, and outbound work, right? Um, as we go on as an entity within MLR, uh, we've become known as a bit, of, a bit of a known commodity and a pathway for players who have domestic eligibility uh, to pursue playing for Canada one day. Uh, and I think that would be the inbound. The outbound piece is just making sure that we maintain relationships uh, with international programs and work to identify players. Um, because, yeah, I mean, the opportunity to bring in a player who will help add depth and competition at the uh, the national team level uh, while bolstering our roster, it's a win-win for everybody. Our mandate is an ambitious one. It's to help raise you know the level of play across the board in Canada. So us being a positive contribution to that ecosystem is a big part of that. And finding guys like Nick Ben, Will Grant, Connor Grindle, who are domestic eligible for Canada, who can help us along, we can develop them, uh, is something that we, we will look to continue to do, as you say, to benefit from their experience having played in, in international leagues. But ultimately, they're, they're guys who qualify for Canada and do aim or strive to, to play for where the Maple Leaf one day. Uh, and if we can be a part of that, fantastic. Yeah, for sure. And I guess my other question is just as far as like, obviously, you know, through the first few years of the ML or the Toronto Arrows and the MLR, um, the roster has, you know, there hasn't necessarily been like a whole lot of turnover. The Arrows have been a very like consistent team, lots of players sticking around for two, three, four years, um, which, which speaks to like the culture of the team that you've been able to create. But this offseason, it seemed like there was a lot more uh, player movement, both guys um, on their way out and coming back in. Um, Bill, I know you mentioned that, um, like, you know, the the team's a lot bigger now as well. Um, was there any, like, philosophical change to the uh, the way you guys constructed the roster during the offseason? Or is just some of the player transactions just, you know, life happens and 
people sometimes move on? Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's one answer that would 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 cover sort of all of the circumstances uh, for sure. Uh, I, I think a big part of it, though, would be sort of as you alluded to, just the uh, the Ontario Blues program moving across into uh, what is now sort of the Arrows over time. Players eventually move on. That was a cohesive unit that had been together. Uh, and life circumstances change. Um, people make their own decisions. Um, so I, I don't think there's a simple answer uh, for sort of that would cover all. But I do think um, that it was done sort of within the balance of still maintaining the integrity and, and the, the core culture of the team um, and certainly wish those players well that moved on. Uh, they are st- I mean, we're still a Canadian franchise. We're Canadian rugby supporters. They're, they're Canadian players who, are, who, who have found professional rugby uh, in, a, in, in North America. And that's ultimately a good thing as well in terms of the bigger picture. There's more Canadians playing in the MLR than ever before. Um, and our roster is only so big, uh, you know, there's only so many that we can carry. So we maintain our position to help drive things forward. Um, and uh, there will be turnover on the roster uh, from year to year. Um, but uh, we do aim, as I say, to maintain the integrity, uh, the core of the team with the NI for year on year growth and development. And our, our roster is still north of 70% Canadian. And if you start adding in the athletes that we've brought in, to what we call the high performance academy some of our academy players who are actually training inside our daily training environment it's well north of that and on top of that we're doing all this work developing canadian players in our three academy locations as well as the junior academy that's something we're really excited about and i think demonstrates our our commitment to developing canadian talent um we're getting increasing demands to grow those programs in new locations and where they are and what that's doing is building the base of Canadian players that are within our system and that you'll see hopefully wearing arrows jerseys and Canadian jerseys in the year to come in the years to come. It's uh, it's one of the most exciting things about what we're doing that people don't see a lot of, but they will see these athletes competing either, you know, on the Canadian age grade teams or in uh, Academy competitions that will be games we'll be announcing as we get into our, into our season. It's a pretty exciting piece of the, the whole puzzle. Yeah. And uh, I know Stu wants to kind of jump in here, but uh, I just, um, just cause you did mention the, the Academy, I was just wondering, like, is there any, like, what is kind of, I guess, maybe league wide, like the plans for like the Academy, like, is there, there like an opportunity to set up, I don't know, for a lack of better term, like minor league rugby in a way of like, you know, all the, uh, the Academy teams like playing against each other and stuff or, uh, like what's kind of like the the plan for that from like a maybe like a league wide point of view? Yeah, so it's it, it's a it's a it's another great question that you asked, Derek. Uh, and the interesting piece for me when I having come into this, um, when you talk about a minor league, uh, just look at the geographies uh, across the cities in the MLR. Uh, right now, I look outside. There's a foot of snow, right? So yeah. for us to have an active academy it, for our in season, it it really can't be playing outdoor in Ontario. That's very different than some of the franchises in the Southern US. Um, So everyone is going about it, uh, I would say with the same end goal in mind, but having to be mindful of their local circumstances. Um, So some of the things that I'm excited about is us working with other programs that are currently in season within Canada, uh, be it those on the West Coast. uh, So making sure that we're in touch with those programs, uh, watching film and constant communication with, with coaches and those programs for player development. 
Uh, and then, as Bill mentioned, with an eye toward our academy season, which will kick off somewhat in line with the club season here when snow melts, fields thaw, uh, and we can have some local talent that's playing rugby. So um, everybody, I would say, across the MLR is, is trying to find ways to do that, uh, whether it be with the schools or with club locally, uh, to continue to develop talent. But as is often the case when we start talking about rugby in Canada and North America, geography will, will factor in and seasons will factor in. Um, so there's no one cookie cutter answer to that, but I can say that everybody's working on it to make sure that there's pathways, there's development opportunities and ultimately positive experiences for, for players and programs. I think it'll take a few years for there to be, you know, every team, every academy team in the MLR playing one another, that that's an expensive thing. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. also, also you have geographic challenges. However, you will see these one-off games against other academy. You might also see the formation of some regional academies for different purposes where regional teams made up of players from different academies, potentially it could take, it's something that's evolving. Um, that said, the Arrows Academy will be playing a number of very meaningful games within Canada this year. And as you saw last year, we had overseas teams come to visit. There's a wide variety of options. And really what it comes down to is, you know, schedule, scheduling, availability. Um, but the players are certainly keen to, to do this. Uh, and the competition, what's really you know, heartwarming is that the competition to get into these academies, both the junior academy and the senior academy is intense. Uh, the the word about these academies is spreading. We get, you know, this is what's really interesting this fall, which was really heartwarming for me, was as, as we came towards the end of the rugby season and sevens was starting, I was around the pitches a lot and parents were, players and parents were coming up to me, you know, whether they were university, you know, students or high school students and saying, and their parents saying, I want, I want to be a professional rugby player. I want to play for the Arrows and I want to play for Canada. What are the different pathways available? And it's not, you know, for some, it's going out to the Pacific Pride, and that's great. But for others, if you want to do studies, you know, systems design engineering at the University of Waterloo, and you're a good rugby player, and you need to stay in Ontario, but you don't want to get off the pathway, being in the Arrows Academy is a great option. And we're seeing those sorts of things happening for university and college students. And those students in the Ontario Blues Junior Arrows Academy like you're seeing a significant number of those players being represented, you know, in the U18 age grade program for Canada and in the U20 age grade program for Canada as, as they move up. So these programs are having a real impact, not just on the arrows and our future, but also on the Canadian rugby scene. So we're really, you know, we're really proud of that. And, and it's, like I say, we're, we're getting demand for increased, geographic presence you know i hope there's a day where we actually have arrows academies coast to coast and it won't surprise me if that if that actually is happening within the not too distant future interesting um speaking of the city of toronto exactly uh, you know toronto is a big city it has three of the big four sports teams it also has uh, an mls team and a cfl team as well uh, and by that extension, there's a very saturated market. So how do you go about marketing a profession, a new professional team? For a lot of people, it will be a minor sport that they're not too familiar with. 
in a city where the maple leaves are practically a religion. I'll take a crack at it first, and I'm sure Tim will have his perspectives. We both have kids, and so we have the perspective of kids as well as adults. I mean, I think the way the arrows, first of all, you start with your 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 passionate rugby community. Those are people, those are table stakes that those people come to the games. They're Invariably, they're going to be there. Kids are going to be there who play because they know the game. Um, second, it's about getting the non-rugby fan to come. And there are a couple elements that one is it's a very compared to going to a Leafs game or a Raptors game where you almost have to take out a second mortgage coming to an arrows game is a very affordable thing, both your ticket, great game day experience. And you'll see, you've seen how active we are. We have one of the most active social media and effective social media presence in the MLR. And I think we swing above our weight here in Toronto. We don't pretend that we're competing with, uh, you know, with with the Leafs or the Raptors or the or the Jays. However, we do have a presence out there, and we are seeing. What we ask too is that that people who are fans and season ticket holders bring a friend. The most the mo- the best thing we can do is get somebody to come to a game once, and if they have a great time, they'll generally they'll generally come again. Um, for people who haven't been to York Lions Stadium, it's a terrific stadium for watching sports. You have a seat. It's modern. It's clean. You have, you have good seats. You have good sight lines of the field. There's a VIP section. But one of the coolest things I think is, and especially for uh, a very passionate community like rugby where people like to mix and mingle and talk and have a beer, is that there's that large concourse. So you can have one of the cheaper seats in the stadium, but you can walk to the halfway line or wherever you want to be, meet with your friends, have a beer, have a chat, and see the game. Or you can walk down to that area we call the garden where we have craft beer, craft food, watch the game end on as many people like to do. So it's a great, it's a great place to watch a game. Um, it's easy to get to with a subway stop, just, you know, 30 meters away at pioneer pioneer village. So these are some of the elements that we're playing up and we call it rugby attainment last year. And you're going to see big improvement this year because we've had more time to plan where there'll be addition in addition to the game, there'll be more music, more entertainment on the field, more noise in the stands through various ways that people will find out about entertainment in the of various kinds in the beer garden, as well as really top class rugby. So, you know, we think it's a great family. It's a great value for a family or an individual to come um, are that we're also doing extensive marketing to the universities and colleges around the G- all around Ontario. They all have massive databases of alumni and we've been reaching out through to them. And when we talk about turf later, in the interview, I'm sure um, I'll talk about some other mechanisms we're using to get people into the games. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think uh, we can maybe maybe we can stay on the uh, the match day experience. So obviously, uh, we already alluded to it. Um, April eighth is the uh, the home opener, so that's I guess less than a month away now. It's uh, quickly quickly creeping up here, um, but. So you kind of um so look at I guess we'll go kind of with the the first question. Um you guys um the Arrows first years in in the league you kind of split time between um York University and Lamport Stadium. Um what were like some of the driving factors um behind permanently moving to uh York Lions Stadium um for last season and then going forward into this year as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. Plain and simple, it's just the quality of the facility. Um, while Lamport has a great location, um, 
The change rooms are in really bad condition. They're very small. There's not a, there's not a lot of hot water. There's not sufficient power. It's very difficult to put on a modern high-end TV broadcast there because of the lack of the lack of power and and the place needs a lot of work. And the city recognizes that, ourselves recognize that and other partners and there are some, you know, quiet conversations going on as as people look to the decade, you know, ahead as to what might be done with Lamport. Um, it's but it certainly needs in order to be a venue for a professional rugby it, it, the facility does need some real work and you know york lions stadium is a legacy asset of the york lions on the other hand is a legacy asset of the pan am games it's in wonderful shape they put down a brand new pitch so from a player's point of view there's a brand new pitch there there's a video board there's a great sound system there's lots of power there's places to move around and as well York University have been outstanding partners for us. Absolutely outstanding. They also, they're, you know, they're getting more used to running and working with us. We, we run and operate the events, but they've been great partners in terms of setup, accessibility, and it's becoming a destination. The TFC2 Academy are playing games there. York United is playing CPL soccer there. Um, so I think this, this stadium is going to become a bit of a destination. And some people say, well, the location's not as easy as Lamport, but actually when you get on that subway, it's pretty accessible. And for all those people in the 905 in the greater Toronto area, it's very, and there's a lot of them, it's easy to get to, plus you have go buses, et cetera. So, um, you know, as once people get there, it, it they love the location and we're going to continue building on that. Yeah, I live uh, 10 minutes away from it. So yeah, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the location myself. So uh <laughs> Um, so that for me, it's much, it's, uh, the convenience is right there for me. So. Yeah. I, I made the mistake, unfortunately in the off season of moving further away from oh, Lamport yes. stadium. Then. Yeah. That's your own yeah. fault, Stu. That's well, for, from all the same, from Lamport stadium, from York Lions stadium. It's just, yeah. Foolish decision when, uh, house hunting is, uh, how close is this to the rugby? I should have included that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, so the arrows are also in the position of their, I believe they're the last team to have a home game in MLR. And Bill, I know you went to the uh, home opener uh, for the game against uh, Rugby New York. Uh, so when you see these games, when you see uh, these new locations, for example, Chicago at SeatGeek Stadium, um, are you like picking up uh, things that they're doing for their home openers and thinking like, oh, that works really well. Maybe we should do something like that. Or I wouldn't have done that, but we could take elements and use that when it comes to the Arrows home opener on April 8th. Yeah, good good question. I'd say we've already, we've been planning far ahead. We knew where we were going to be playing this season. So we've got lots of ideas about what we're going to do, not just for game one, but throughout all our, our games. Um, keep those a bit of a secret. As I said, there'll be a lot of entertainment. There'll be a lot more noise. Um, New York had a great setup, but it was brand new. They had to scramble to get ready to be in that, but it was an improved stadium in many ways. It reminds me of York Lions Stadium, um, except without a subway. People had to drive. It was a harder to get to for people in New York, but a very nice stadium, good pitch. Um, Atlanta was in the same stadium as last year. It turned out to be a very, very cold evening. So I think all I could <laughs> recommend is you know, felt almost like Canada. It was just above freezing, which is unusual. Um, so I wouldn't take it as a representative, you know, <laughs> season opener for, for Atlanta. Uh, hopefully we'll have good weather come 
April 8th, but we've got lots of plans and we know the location really well. The team's well on top of it. And, uh, it'll be, it'll be a great, a great, a great, a great experience for our fans. Yeah. And I mean, I know the, I guess the history of arrows home games is a little, it's a little bizarre given, um, the pandemic kind of throwing it off a little bit and then no home games in 2020 and 2021. Um, but, uh, what are like, I guess, um, as far as like putting on the game day experience, like what what do you feel is like the biggest things that you've kind of learned, um, whether it's just about like what works, what doesn't work, or even just like what you've realized, like what Arrows fans have been enjoying or um, and how you've kind of evolved that? Because, I mean, you're hinting at a lot of uh, a lot of what, uh, fun things for uh, the upcoming season. So I'm just well, just kind of wondering, like how like. Even though maybe you don't necessarily have to reveal anything if you're not not ready sure. for that yet, but like, what's kind of like the thought process and like how that evo- how developing that game day experience kind of evolves over time. The more home games you guys have, yeah, I would say um, first of all, I think last season we really raised our game a lot at York, given what we could do there. So I think people take for granted that there'll be great craft beers and and great food. We have a a, a food provider, very unique prov- food provider called Trey Dish, which served up some really differentiated and interesting sorts of food that we got a lot of good feedback on and uh, they'll be back with us again this year. I think, I think that's something I think having a video, a really good video scoreboard, not every team has one in the MLR. We're very fortunate to have one. So for showing replays, um, having it, we're going to take the music experience up to a different level this year for a bit of a hint. Um, And I think having good music, good DJ, um, I think giving the crowd uh, some additional devices with, with which they can make some noise to cheer on the team is, is always a great thing. And I think the, you know, there'll be themes this year that we'll announce um, as we get closer to those games, themes for ver- for each game, as well as, you know, in some cases there'll be a, um, either a, um, we'll use alumni stadium for some uh other matches for what you know whether it's for a woman's match or junior matches over there so people might come early for community events we really want to as well as doing interesting things at halftime on the field so we really we want to be you know we say canada's most accessible or really canada not just toronto but canada's most accessible professional sports team and i think again one of the other things you asked about that we've done right is that after the game that fans are able to come onto the field, that the players are able to go and meet with, you know, the fans in the garden. Um, and that sort of interaction, the ability to take photographs, take photographs, get autographs, mix and mingle with the players is something that we're going to do, you know, even more of this year and make sure that our non-dressing players on the day are circulating in the crowd, getting to know our fans, educating them, uh, and, and especially meeting with the youth because these are the, these are the players that become really heroes and inspirations for the up and coming players. Excellent. Excellent. Well, one of the big stories that came out during the off season is that while other MLR teams have a big sponsor or, you know, in the case of New York, their nickname across the front of their jerseys, Toronto have gone in a different direction and had the Toronto inner city rugby foundation plastered front and center on both their home and away kits. Um, so this is a partnership that has already existed in some form, but now is definitely coming. It's literally coming to the forefront. 
Um, so how long has the Arrows been involved with Turf and what has that relationship involved up until uh, this point? Well, the, the Arrows have been involved with Turf right since the beginning of the Arrows, but pre predating that, um, I've known about Turf since the beginning and I've been on their advisory board or their captain's council, as they call it, uh, for 11 out of the 12 years of their existence. For those who don't know what Turf is, it's the Toronto Inner City Rugby Foundation. It's a not-for-profit community impact organization that works in the priority neighborhoods of Toronto. And really, it's about personal and community development for young people, primarily teenagers, through the sport of rugby for both boys and girls. And it is an incredible organization. Um, it has grown, gone from strength to strength. It's come through COVID. Um, it's been the biggest source of, of adding registered and, and particip rugby participants in this province and probably in the country um, a way and a way of effective way of introducing young people to rugby. But more importantly, it's had a really uh, impactful, uh, an impact on young people's lives, giving them, you know, introduction to sport in an inexpensive way, giving them a place to go after school. Turf works through the school boards. It also works through community centers any organization that wants to participate with them. And it it shares the values of rugby. It creates a community for kids to be a part of, a rugby community. And we all know what a how you know passionate and healthy that community is for the most part. And uh, it gives them an outlet. If they're a single, if they come from a single parent family, it gives them a place to be after school and get involved. And it it provides a pathway as well. I mean, we've had many uh, turf athletes continue to play rugby boys and girls up into college and university and in fact we've had a couple of uh, by my count three players who've come up through turf who've actually gone to university or college and ended up playing for the arrows and there's one young lady who's come up through turf who's actually played for the canada sevens women's sevens team so this is pretty now the elite rugby part is just that's a byproduct and that's great but it's really about that community development and to just give you a sense of the magnitude, this year, Turf expects to, to affect about 25,000 young people in the city of Toronto. That, that's that's wow. enormous. That's, yeah. It's absolutely, and some of that's, you know, one day, it can be anything from a one-day introduction to rugby, to participating in house leagues that Turf sets up, to participating in the Rising Star program, to joining a club and playing for their school. Um, so it's a wonderful organization. And, and to our knowledge, um, we are, and we've searched around a lot. We are the first professional rugby team on the planet to ever have a not-for-profit community impact organization on the front of our jersey for an entire season. Barcelona has done it with UNICEF in soccer. Nottingham Forest did it with another UN organization on the front of their jersey. But we, to the best of our knowledge, we're the first professional rugby team to do it. And it's a bit of a no-brainer, especially coming out of covid I saw how impactful turf was and just because of what it does for people and what it does for our game, they're a natural partner. And one of the, one of the programs that we're now talking about more, more openly that's existed in the past is for anybody who comes, if somebody has aero season tickets or a flex pack or buys a bunch of individual tickets, if you can't use them, these tickets will never go to waste because you can easily turn them back to the arrows electronically 
And what we do is we have a bank of these tickets, which we then forward on to uh, turf uh, players and their families who, who express an interest in wanting those tickets. And so a ticket never gets wasted. It's paid for, which benefits the arrows, but we want bums and seats and we want pe- we want accessibility. We want every young person in their family who wants to go to a professional rugby game, especially an arrows game to be able to go. And so this makes that possible. We've done it in the past with a very high success rate. And this year um, we want to promote it even more. It gets young people into the, into the stands um, and you know, it's a win, win, win all around. So that's the, the story of turf. It is a, it's, for anybody who wants to know more about it, I strongly suggest you just go to tirfrugby.ca and check it out. They have scholarship programs uh, for anybody who may want to donate directly to turf. There's a way to do that, but it is, I've been involved in a lot of, community impact organizations over time and this is really one of the best it just we're very very fortunate that it happens to have and not surprisingly have rugby at the core of it so we should all be proud as you know as rugby people and it's programs well known by by rugby folks in i think in the gta um what's great now is that we can promote it and part of the reason we want to have it on the jersey is to promote the program more broadly to the rest of the the greater toronto area one piece I would just I would add to that is that you know, part of being in professional sports is community outreach uh, and working with community organizations. For our guys to be able to do this through rugby with rugby as the vehicle for for outreach, it just really energizes the team. Uh, we're thankful for all of our sponsors and all of our relationships with, with partners. Um, but the guys' eyes light up when it's when it's a turf event or the opportunity to work with kids, introduce introduce the game. They can see themselves. A lot of them can see themselves in, in these kids and the opportunity. And it's uh, it really is a just a, a, a tremendously positive experience. So and something that we're we're very excited about end to end as an organization. And the response of our commercial partners, you know, who are paying, love it. They they think they're they're they feel great to be associated with with turf and with a, a professional team that has a community impact organization front and center on their Jersey. They think it's great. So um, we, we didn't think we weren't worried about it, but we were very pleasantly surprised by how positive that response has been. Yeah. I was uh, going to ask that what has been the reaction from partners, from players and it seems like you've already answered the question. Um, yeah. There's been articles uh, posted about um, the Arrows being the first rugby team to have a, a non-profit on the front of their jersey for the entire season. Um, has there been any um, other reactions from you know, just the city in general or um, alumni and former players, anything along those lines? Just it's all, all been positive. <laughs> like just every from York University... I'll give you one example of, of, of the city loves it. You know, I, I've heard that the mayor's aware of it. City councilors are aware of it. Um, you know, obviously everybody who's involved in a rugby club knows, knows what turf is in Toronto, but here's a good example. York university who we partner with obviously and where we play our games and where that you're going to hear things over time about how that partnership continues to evolve in some, in some broader ways. I think it's 85% of students who go to York are from the greater Toronto area. Many of those students who go to York come from priority neighborhoods. York up until recently didn't 
wasn't really aware of turf and turf. They didn't have a, a, a really strong relationship, even though they were in this sharing some of the same neighborhoods. And we facilitated an introduction, a formal introduction between York and uh, York and turf. And it's really taken off both organizations. And, the, you know, you're starting to see tours by turf students. A, a big part of turf is creating that aspiration for these young people to want to go to po get a post-secondary education at college or university. York would love to be that destination, especially as these are, you know, these are Toronto citizens. And so um, you're going to see a much deeper relationship between York and Turf at a time when York is working with a little bit of advice from us and some assistance to redevelop their men's and their women's rugby programs. Yeah. So again, it's a win, win, win. You know, we call it, it's about creating on ramps for people to get involved in the sport. Um, the arrows touch a lot of different parts of our community and we want to try to make connections wherever we can to help them. And there are just so many great facets to turf. We have sponsors who are now saying, Hey, could we hire some of these young people to help us, you know, with labor like in certain industries, they're having trouble finding labor right now. And so then now you've got opportunities for summer jobs for some of these young folks with folks who are, rugby supporters you know by sponsoring the arrows so um i i think this really this relationship this ecosystem as it grows in the greater toronto area we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg right now who knows where it'll go but people are starting to make connections um there's a major canadian bank who won't sort of say who it is that it's very active in the jane finch area with and we've made some introductions there between turf and york and and their we'll see what, you know, what they start to do with it. It's um, exciting times. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, this all sounds awesome. Um, the arrows uh, released, did a press release today. So maybe a couple days ago, by the time anybody's listening to this, but um, that I guess launched the, uh, the 2023 ticket donation portal for turf as well. Um, so if you want to know how to actually donate your tickets to uh to turf just head to torontoarrows.com it's one of the top news stories on the website right now um but uh just um for a little bit of clarification just because i believe you mentioned for season ticket holders to donate if someone just has say a pair of tickets to any of the eight games can they also donate that like can single game ticket holders also they can also uh, yeah. donate yeah. that as well perfect okay so yeah. and i i'm assuming the same process that's outlined on uh, torontoarrows.com right now correct Correct. It's really easy and painless. It's there. And if anyone ever needs help, there's people you can contact, but it's just an electronic transfer back to us. And we will see that they get into the hands of deserving young people. Absolutely awesome to hear. Well, seeing as you guys are the uh, top dogs within the Toronto Arrows, uh, you obviously have a bit of an insider view into uh, what's going on in MLR and especially um, over the past few months we've seen the expansion into the American Midwest with the Chicago Hounds and for 2024 we will be expanding into Florida with the Miami Sharks uh, so from what you've been told what can we expect to see from these new teams or should I say from what you've been told that you can tell us uh, so I think you know just the, any expansion is exciting uh, I think as it relates to the Miami group, uh, certainly 
uh, a highly professional outfit uh, that came to the table uh, with an impressive bid, uh, foresight and planning in terms of how they could stand up a professional rugby team in the Miami market. Uh, I think, which would be criteria that uh, that the league will look at for any any p- potential uh, expansion moving forward. It is sort of the credibility, the professionalism, the expertise, and the the vision uh, to how to stand up rugby and how to get it started. Uh, I think we've learned uh, it doesn't necessarily have to hit the largest markets uh, in uh, in North America, but uh, but the right markets, the right balance of opportunity, uh, available facilities. Uh, that can house uh, MLR crowds, um, not necessarily come up against uh, the big four sports. They can in some markets. We've seen it be successful, depending on the approach. Um, and then working with the local community. Uh, the, the rugby community is a good um, accent, but it can't be the sole base for a successful franchise moving forward. So you have to be able to tap into a market. As, as Bill mentioned, um, you know, we position the Arrows uh, as an entertaining but affordable uh, family outing for an Arrows game. Um, so finding the, the right uh, the right entry points uh, in the in any new market is important, uh, and that's what the Miami Group brought to the table was a vision and a plan to execute against that, um, which is very exciting. I mean, not just because it's not a warm climate uh, for us for uh, for games to play in. Do you get out of the snow here in March? Um, but the other side, ultimately, uh, with uh, with the roster uh, rules in the MLR, it's 25 to 30 uh, rugby jobs uh, in North America for domestic eligible players. And that's ultimately a good thing. More more players playing professional rugby uh, in uh, in North America. How has, um, I guess maybe Bill, this might be more of a question for you, but like um, as an owner in this league, how has the expansion process changed? Um, since the Toronto Arrows entered the league in 2019 to now, and what's maybe what's expected of, um, say my uh, teams like Chicago, Miami, or whoever mm-hmm. might that 14th plus team might end up being. Yeah, I think this the the standards just keep rising. I mean, we're looking the expansion fees have have risen significantly. They were de minimis when we came in, which is nice. Now the expansion fees are quite significant. So we're screening for partners who have the financial wherewithal to pay that fee and to make the investment over a number of years to to grow a team. Um, Expectations around the quality of the stadium that people are in have changed. Um, The table stakes around all the basics of a daily training environment, the coaching, the the training facility, the S&C, the analytics, the, the, the nutrition, the you know psychologists like the staffing of the teams these days and the quality of the coaching is significantly higher than it was in the early days. So the the league's really gone. I mean, we feel like it's become more competitive. You see, what's great is that there's a fair bit of parity within the league, but the teams that the you know who's making the playoffs each year changes a fair bit, which is great. Um, the quality of the players is changing. So, and the ability, the other big element is the ability to put on a great game day experience. The rugby will not sell itself. You have to provide rugby tainment, which means there has to be a significant entertainment component in addition to the rugby itself. And you also have to be prepared to make significant investments in your academy system. And there are rewards for that. We like to joke, the more you spend on your academies, the more you get to spend on your salary cap. <laughs> you have the right to spend more money. Um, but this is why we're 
you know, the MLR is the single biggest source of growth of this sport in North America. It's the reason why World Rugby has awarded a World Cup for 2031 and 2033 for the women to, to North America. So um, the table stakes are higher, you know, the background checks, the all of that, you know, it's it's just at a higher level and it gets we had a board meeting today and you know we're talking this is a topic every year. Can you, you know, willingness to be able to host and preparedness to be able to host a final potentially? You know, does does your city have what it takes and your facility have what it takes to be able to to host a semifinal or a final? So these are all these are all high class problems and or high class challenges, I would say, that make the league significantly better. We're trying to we're really trying to learn lessons at a very rapid rate. You know, MLS took a long time to develop. And I think as a league, we've stumbled in a couple of places, um, but we've made up for it in others. And I think that, you know, the, 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 the future is bright. Um, with that being said, like, what do you think is, um, I guess, as an MLR owner, what do you think the biggest thing that you have learned over the last five years about operating a professional rugby team has been maybe something that you didn't quite expect um, when you began this journey uh, so many years ago? Um, no, great, great question. Um, at, at the team level, so we'll start at the team level. At the team level, there are a lot of moving parts. And even if you X out having a, you know, a pandemic and having to move a team to another country for <laughs> or going a thousand days. I mean, yeah, it's like dog, you know, it, it, we've been three in Toronto. We've seen just about all of it. Cause we went a thousand days without a home game. I think the resilience, but, but it's a very complex puzzle to put together. Tim and I like to talk about this. And it's part of why we find it fun and challenging is that it's, it's all about people. It's about facilities. It's about sports science. It's about culture. It's how you deal with, things you can't control, you know, to some extent, like injuries and weather and, you know, it, it, and how, you know, how do you grow a sport that's a, a secondary, you know, a secondary sport in a very competitive, you know, in a very competitive sports market. It's, it's a great challenge, but we love the game. Like we're all addicted to rugby. So we are trying to do it and we know, you know, the good things that this sport does both for the, for the players and for the community the second at, at a second layer um at a league level i i had some very good advice from a very famous sports owner before i got into this who said hey the structure of this league is a multi you know a single a single entity you're not only are you going to operate a team you're going to be business partners owning an equal slice of this league and you'll never know exactly no matter how much due diligence you do you'll never really know what your fellow partners are like until you get into the room and start having disagreements and agreements and having to deal with adversity. And I'm so glad he said that he wasn't trying to turn me off. He was just trying to say, that's going to be your sing single biggest challenge at the league level. And it, and it has, but I would say, fortunately um, we've got some really great partners in this league. And over time we've got to know it one another better we've learned how to cooperate we've learned how to collaborate in the best interests of the league we've realized that we are partner although we compete very very intensely on the field we are business partners in growing this enterprise and everyone's heart's in the right spot everyone wants to grow the sport we're delighted that we've got that you know it sounds like it's a long way away for that 
2031 World Cup. Um, and we got a lot of work to do. Canada and the U.S. both did not qualify for this World Cup. But I think we're up for the challenge. And, um, you know, there's never, ever, you cannot get bored. There's never a dull moment in this business. So as challenging it is, you know, few people get to do work that they really, really love and try to attack pu really complex puzzles that even if you get part of it right, you feel great. Um, you know, and I think, I always think to myself, one of the best things that could happen for Canadian rugby, which has had some pretty tough goes, would be for the Arrows to win an MLR Shield. And we can't promise when that's going to happen, but we're working our butts off, all of us, the players, the staff, our sponsors, our fans to do that. And, and that is our goal, not just to win one, but to win a couple and to grow this sport and to help do our piece to restore Canadian men's rugby, at least, but to grow the game broadly um, as best we can. So. Uh, just to let you know, Mike Shepard did say five in a row a couple episodes <laughs> ago. Um, so if that's, uh, I hope I hope everybody in the organization's aligned on the five in a row idea. That's that's why he's one of our captains. <laughs> <laughs> Fair Does enough. Shep commit to playing another five seasons. Is that what that means? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, well, I mean, yeah. I guess uh, depend. Maybe it de might depend on the contract. Maybe the, the contract. <laughs> never count. Never count Shep out, man. He's like Gordy. He'll be the Gordy Howe of uh, MOR. <laughs> I would love to see it personally. I would think, and, uh, he can get the he can get a statue built after in front of uh, your client stadium. All right. Go All right. Um, as we uh, start to wrap up this interview, we've got one question. It's going to be a bit of a fun exercise. So let's say a consortium of billionaires come to MLR and say that we want to uh, invest in a new franchise with a new academy. We fulfill all the criteria. Money's not an object, but all, but we can't decide on a city or a location of where we want to base our new franchise. Um now this could now you could answer this in like oh this area had like a great rugby community that's up and coming it could be I'd really like a weekend to visit this city so you can choose that um, but I'll put this to all of us so, but I'll start with Tim if you could pick any city in North America to have another MLR franchise where would you recommend? Uh, what. Well, you, you're really putting me on the spot. I appreciate the chance to go first on this one. Uh, <laughs> so nobody will take my answer. But uh, no, truthfully, uh, I, and I hope you don't see this as me dodging the question. I don't think you can go wrong uh, with another city uh, in North America. I, I do believe that there is a place for professional rugby in the North American markets. There's an opportunity within the, the, the sports landscape for this to hit. So I don't think you could go wrong. Uh, but I would say that uh, if anyone were to go somewhere, unless with their endless amounts of cash, they could solve for uh, a thawed field in January, February, <laughs> it, would, it would have to be a warm climate. I, st I, I still maintain there just there are more challenges for the northern teams um, mm -hmm. uh, due to due to geography and weather. So uh, I'd be inclined to pick somewhere warm. All right. Okay. A warm city. I'm sure we'll be able to find them. Bill, any of any other city in North America? Maybe yeah, no. You, also, you can't be mean and just say I'll put another city, I'll put another team in New York just to mess with them. Oh, like the Mets and the Giants, can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Mets and the Yankees, sorry, the old Giants. 
Um, you know, a, a no-brainer for me is L.A. Warm yeah. climate. Go we back, had a yeah. team there. Somebody's got to step up, especially if they're a gazillionaire, put a team in L.A. I wouldn't put it in the L.A. Coliseum again. I'd put it in somewhere a little more medium size, but I think L.A. would be great. I think Austin proved that they had a good, you know, so getting somebody back in Austin. Um, and, you know, if you're thinking East Coast, uh, I'll, I'll say three here. Um, Miami, I, I think there's potential for something in, you know, maybe in Orlando or North Carolina or one of the Carolinas, you know, opportunity for an East East to keep that balance, to have an Eastern yet Southern warm climate team would be very helpful for the league expansion. We're trying to grow in a really controlled and sensible way. And it actually does matter. That climate issue is a, is a big one. So Derek, if you could have a team in anywhere in North America, where would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I I think there's value in going to the biggest markets, and uh, right now the biggest market that doesn't have a team is LA. So I would uh, I would probably try to go back to that. Uh, for my choice, I'm going to throw an absolute spanner into the works. I am I'm going to take uh, your suggestion of obviously having a warmer climate, but and you know going for a big market as well. But I also know that this city is a young city it's a growing city uh admittedly the rugby isn't as strong there as other places in north america but i'm sure there'd be a niche that can be carved out and it is major league rugby i am talking about the biggest city in all of north america i'm talking about mexico city and obviously these bazillionaires would have their lawyers and they'd be able to sort out the contracts of a mexican team playing in mlr so Again, this is the money is no object thing, but really appreciate your answers and your choices. They make a lot of sense. And yeah, we really appreciate you both being on the podcast tonight, Bill and Tim. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for having us. Guys, just if I could quickly, Derek and Stu, uh, I, I, I do want to thank you both for uh, the podcast and the content that you put out. Uh, it uh, the, rug- the rugby community needs more of it. Uh, you have faithful listeners and readers for reason. So, yeah, on behalf of those who uh, who tune in and who read, thanks for putting out the content that you do. Uh, I, I wish more people would step step up and put more out there. But uh, for those that do, thank you. Thank you. Definitely, definitely much appreciated, Tim. And if you would like to listen to any of the episodes we have previously done, uh, you can check out those as well as our written pieces on our new website, larougerugby.ca. You can also find our podcasts available on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel at La Rouge Rugby with episodes of the podcast as well as extra interviews with players and coaches. Make sure to like and subscribe and hit the bell notification to stay up to date with all our videos. We are also available across social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at La Rouge Rugby. Well, guys, if uh, anyone's listening and they're like, oh, I need to get my Arrows tickets as soon as possible, especially for that home opener on April 8th, uh, where can they buy their tickets from? TorontoArrows.com. And your merch, too. Get your And your swag. Replica jerseys are on sale. Fantastic. Yeah, that was just announced. You have the uh, match fit and the relax fit. And... <laughs> uh, I'm sure all us front row players will be very grateful for the relaxed fit. 
Derek, where can the fine people find you on social media? Uh, the Jet uh, across basically every social media platform that you can think of. And you can find me across social media at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Well, Bill and Tim, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Derek, thank you again for helping me with the questions. And thank you to our listeners and viewers for joining us on the Rouge Rugby podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time.